for the first time in 16 episodes, you get just me. It's the FrankBlack.net podcast, and this is Brian flying solo this episode. Dean is still on his travels down the Pan American Highway, and uh, well, the last time we tried to chat about this podcast stuff, it didn't go so well, but uh, we'll get to that later. I don't want to waste any more of your time. we got lots of exciting stuff coming up in this episode. But first, some news. You're hearing a little bit of You're Gonna Pay. The, uh, the preview version, which is the opening track of The Gollum, which is finally released over at blackfrancis.net. 90 bucks will net you five discs. That includes two studio discs, two live discs, and the DVD of the film with the studio music put on top of it. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. I've had mine for uh, about a week now, and I haven't even touched the live discs, to be totally fair, because I've been so engrossed in the studio discs. And the, um, the DVD is awesome. The packaging is great. You'll have the chord charts for all the music. It's really fantastic. So there's only 500 of these. I don't know how many are still left, but if you haven't gotten it yet, what the hell are you waiting for? Get to blackfrancis.net and buy it before they all run out. And to celebrate the release of this record, why don't we hear one of the tracks? Here is one of my favorites from disc two, Custom All the Way. Like custom all the way 
inside a hidden drawer in the dark old days of doom it's like custom all the way there ain't nothing wrong with that it's like custom all the way I worked my shaking hands and I molded you from clay it's like custom all the way your expression plan so earnest on that day it's like custom all the way there ain't nothing wrong with that it's like custom all the way and I conjured in the dark and I spoke with you like custom all the way but I'll mash your perfect parts when your task is done it's like custom all the way there ain't nothing wrong with that it's like custom all the way we frightened all the people and we freaked them all at it's like custom all the way But your master is so evil So we gotta cut this short It's like custom all the way There ain't nothing wrong with that It's like custom all the way Also courtesy of BlackFrancis.net, a track's been floating around called Ghost Coming. This came out last year sometime towards the end of the year, and we haven't had a chance to report on it because we have not really been podcasting. Dean left for his uh, trip in early November, and we tried to wrap up everything by early October to let him enjoy his last few weeks in Saskatoon without worrying about podcast responsibilities. 
So anyway, this track called Ghost Coming came out. Really cool song. Uh, has a lot of fans on our forum talking about it. And one of those people posted an interview that Black Francis had given on 89.3 in Minneapolis. Uh, a woman named Mary Lucia interviewed Black Francis, and he was talking about a paranormal experience. And, uh, well, why don't we just have him tell the tale? Yeah, the the one that I can really kind of tune into, I probably have had others and not really noticed mm-hmm. so much, but was I was hanging out with um, my friend Glenn from The Frames, who's also in a very popular like act that right now. Guy, yeah. what's, the, what's the name of the movie that Once. he was in with the gal? You Once. know, But do they have the act. They're touring around. They play like baseball stadiums now. They're it's huge. I forget what they're called now. But um, anyway, I was hanging out with him mm-hmm. in Dublin. And um, oh, come on. And we, so there we are at, at, you know, three in the morning. The, it's the classic uh, the guitar being passed around in the pub that's closed. But, you know, you get the secret door knock. We got in. <laughs> and. <laughs> And um, I had to go to the bathroom. I went upstairs to, to look, you know, for the for the men's room. And the light wouldn't work in the men's room. So I went in the ladies' room. And just the whole time I was up there, I was like, oh, man, this is weird. Something's weird. And I'm, like, looking over my shoulder and all of my goosebumps all over uh-huh, me and uh-huh. hair standing on the back of my neck, all that classic kind of stuff. And I'm running out of there, running down the stairs, looking over my shoulder, just kind of just totally having a panic attack. And then um, I sat down with the... The group of people there, and then I said, "So, what's up with the ghost?" And um, just kind of half serious because I didn't really know what I had experienced, right. you know. And then the bartender was like, "Oh, you met him, you know." And um, and then the, the rest of the night, I couldn't go. They had to keep. They had to escort me to the. Glenn had to take me to go pee every time I had to pee. So, so the ghost's presence was strongest in the can. It was all over, but okay. because you had to leave the other group of people okay. and be right. alone, right. you sure. just kind of, and it was more in the darker parts of the nightclub, you know okay. what I mean? <laughs> and um, it just was, because it was just kind of a, it's an old, old place, like an old building, you know, like uh, from the, you know, who knows when, I don't know, right. just some ancient, there's not that thing's even square, you know what I mean? It's all, <laughs> everything's all round and you know, worn and, you know, it's just kind of a non-geometric place, you know, wasn't, like a cave. Wasn't that the, the, the thinking behind turrets and, and round rooms was so that no spirit could actually hide in a corner? Oh, I did not know that, see? I believe that is yeah, the so truth. It's a roundy place, so if that makes sense now, okay. <laughs> it was a roundy. So anyway, that was my last, that was a few okay. years ago. And um, good yeah, one. that was a, that was my big, I, I, I wrote a song about it. I can't play it for you right now, but mm-hmm. um, I did write a song for it. I think it's coming out on some benefit record or something sometime soon but anyway um i did manage to put that in i did i did manage to put that in a uh, song ghosts yeah okay so while we don't know what tribute album he was speaking of we're going to share it with you right now so here it is ghost coming the bars are shut in dublin town but my new friend is coming
And finally, before we get into the real meat of the podcast, one more bit of news. Our friend Black Francis was recently on BBC's Radio 6, along with Ian Katzkilkin of Art Brute, to play a couple of tracks. And we have one from that session, Jumping Beans. It's, uh, it's a great version featuring some nice lead guitar by Mr. Katzkilkin. So here it is, Jumping Beans. Enjoy. <laughs> pocket so close to my heart that is pumping I'd even take them in a rocket but I can't go Thank you. 
Okay, now on to what everyone I'm sure is excited to be talking about, Nonstop Erotic, coming out March 30th in North America, coming out April 6th in the rest of the world. What do we know about this record? We know it was recorded in Los Angeles, in New York, and in London, that it's produced by Mr. Eric Drew Feldman, and that it features former Catholic Dave Phillips, among other musicians. We're going to be hearing a couple of tracks from the record tonight, and we're going to start off with a Frank Black to back of Dead Man's Curve, which appears on this album, which is being released almost four years to the day from when it was first debuted. This track debuted live March 14th, 2006, one month the day after this podcast started, actually, come to think of it, at a show at Café du Nord in San Francisco. Uh, this is an amazing show. I hope all of you have recordings of it um, because it has a set list that is unparalleled in terms of diversity. It has stuff like The Marsist and uh, End of Miles, Super Abound. These tracks aren't played live all that often. It was also the live debut of Dead Man's Curve, of Rabbits, which you're going to be hearing a little bit later, of The Water, of Fitzgerald, of My Terrible Ways, and I guess that's it. But that's still, it's, it's quite a show. And we're going to play the Dead Man's Curve from this show, followed by the version on Nonstop Erotic. So here we go, Black to Back, Dead Man's Curve. <laughs> Thank you. 
repeat anyway. Decided to do a special podcast in March, uh, scrapping the not scrapping, delaying the planned March podcast. The original idea was to have an hour or so of music and discussion about this record with Eric Drew Feldman, Black Francis, Dean, and myself. Well, that didn't work out so well. Dean was in Panama at the time and could not get a stable internet connection, and so he was borrowing the phone of the hostel that he was staying in to make this happen. Um, in addition, both Black Francis and Eric Drew Feldman were at Eric's house in San Francisco, and the phone that Black Francis was on did not record all that well. In addition to that, those two problems, uh, we were using a new piece of recording software, and it crapped out about 30 minutes into the interview. And so the 15 minutes we got with Dean before the hostel kicked him off the phone was lost. The subsequent 15 minutes of Eric 
uh, Black Francis and I speaking, it got cut off. And so all that's left is the final 15 minutes, of which we'll be hearing much of tonight, but still not quite what we were hoping to bring you. So instead, we decided to make this podcast something a little bit more special. And that's why we included things like uh, the Gollum track and Ghost Coming and Jumping Beans and this next piece. Now, this piece was actually discussed in the interview, although it's not an official release, and this is part of the interview that got lost. We got to talking about how Black Francis songs get written, whether or not you know they come full-formed, lyrics first, music first. And he kept using this term of scraps, that there are these scraps that just pop up, whether it's a guitar riff, a lyric, uh, a beat, something like that. And these scraps stick around in his head sometimes for years, sometimes just for a couple of hours, and then songs come out of this. And one of the things he cited was a track that's available on the Black Francis MySpace page known as Brooklyn Piledriver. He actually said he wanted this to just be called Scrap on there, but it got messed up somewhere along the way. Um, Black Francis was visiting his friend and ours, Reed Paley, in Brooklyn, and there was a pile driver going on outside at a construction site. He recorded this, sampled it, and built a beat around it. And he said, this is not a completed song. This is just a scrap. This is an example of what Black Francis songs start out as. And I thought, this is a really fascinating thing for us to hear, and I'm glad we can share it with you guys tonight. Afterwards, we're going to be hearing two tracks from Nonstop Erotic. The first being the title track, Nonstop Erotic, and the second being Six-Legged Man, which is the first single off the album. So I picked these two songs because of the complete different tone of them. Uh, Nonstop Erotic, as you're about to hear, is a ballad, is very traditional uh, piano and voice ballad. There is some nice guitar work and drums in there, but it's really understated, whereas Six-Legged Man is a raucous rock and roll number that uh, I'm really enjoying right now. A little bit of bonus podcast trivia here. You will get a hearty handshake from me if we ever meet in person. If you can tell me who Terry and the Possibilities are, that won't make sense to you hear these tracks. So here we go. Brooklyn Piledriver, Nonstop Erotic, and Six-Legged Man.
now we're going to hear our second Frank Black to back of the night, again from the March 2006 Café du Nord show, and again from Nonstop Erotic. The, um, this track un- underwent a real serious change, as you can hear uh, along the way. Uh, the backing track for this was recorded at Tony Maimoni's Studio G in Brooklyn, New York, and was then uh, completed in London. And apparently this was not intended for the record. It was uh, recorded, like I said, at an older session, I believe on the fall 2006 tour that brought uh, Black Francis, then Frank Black, all over North America with Eric Drew Feldman, Dwayne Jarvis, and Billy Block in tow. And if I'm not mistaken, this was recorded then, but was on the shelf for quite some time. In fact, a very similar instrumental version is available at blackfrancis.net for, I believe, a quarter. So it's definitely worth your investment. Um, there is also, it's interesting to hear the live version because there's a mistake at the end or so, a mistake Black Francis tells us. But then he says, you don't know how it goes anyway. Well, now we do know how it goes and we can compare and contrast. So here it is, almost four years apart, rabbits and rabbits. <laughs> Anyway, we sail along the fields 
Okay, now we're finally going to get to the interview with Eric Feldman and Black Francis. Again, I want to apologize for the audio fidelity of Black Francis's voice. That was unavoidable. And I also want to apologize for the little bloop that you hear now and then, which is Dean IMing me via Skype. His connection was strong enough to support the instant messaging feature, but not the voice. So you'll hear that a couple of times. He was helping to feed me some questions so we can make the interview as best as we could. So we started off talking with Eric Feldman about his sonic goals for the record and how I was saying how, although you f- almost feel his presence floating out there in the ether, you don't really hear the keyboards very much on this record, and whether or not that was an intentional production goal of his. So, uh, Eric, take it away. Well, I think, yeah, after, uh, you know, the the amount of time I've been doing this, I think all the time, you know, especially from the producer uh, angle, I, I sometimes look back at what I used to do and think, gee, I've been, I was sort of making that, uh, I felt like sometimes I've had a, a pretty heavy footprint on things that maybe I uh, wasn't necessarily, uh, I don't know if appropriate, you know, nobody ever really complained, but I thought, oh, you know, it's it's not my record. So I think when I came into this, I just, I feel like I always have a, uh, I won't begin to say that I understand what Charles' songs are always about, but musically I uh, feel a, always feel a strong affinity for what he's doing and maybe a you know an approach or a solution to how it would sound but i think i was initially going into it with more uh of a you know a subtle uh you know a subtle footprint and and though uh i you know i have to say that charles in a few places just you know encouraged me you know said you know he kind of you know pushed me along with like you know you know, you know, it needs some, do some, you know, do it with keys. And so, uh, you know, given that, then on the, you know, there's definitely songs that have more of that influence than others. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I usually try to poke my head in everywhere, but, uh, you'll, uh, it's, you know, it's, I just think, I, I, I don't think I've ever really, uh, been like a keyboard player that like wants to, uh, expose himself as a keyboard player so much. I always just kind of like textures and in other people's stuff and and in my stuff. You know, it's, that's mm-hmm. more interesting to me. So I I think I'm uh, I like I like uh, operating in the uh, in the in the shadows of of a, of a track a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Now um, I had a couple of questions just because of the uh, of the work I had heard. The little bit I've heard, I've heard about maybe five or six pieces from this Gollum record that's eventually coming out. Um, how different was the the the, the working uh, relationship between something like the Gollum, where there's there's this heavy time crunch? You know, there was a uh, from what I understand from talking to Eric in the past about it, there were only a couple of days that the players got together versus this, where it's uh, it's more of a a long period of time that can be. You, know, you have more time to edit and to refine. So, Charles, did you approach these two projects very differently, or is is it songwriting, songwriting to you? I don't know. I guess you know the the, the ultimate goal for Eric or for me, you know, or, or people like us is that you just want to come up with something that is um, listenable and, and 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 fun to listen to, and 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 that's the ultimate goal is just to make something good, you know. So, um, I don't know that. Personally, I analyze it any 
further than that. And so was my approach different between the two sessions? Well, I suppose, but I mean, I, I don't know if my approach is any different. I think the the parameters are different. I mean, you know, uh, two guys sitting in the studio with a week ahead of them is different than like six guys sitting in a room with two days ahead of them. You know what I mean? So those are the those are the different dynamics. But what but the goal is the same, and I don't know that my songwriting is different or anything like that. But um, you know, uh, it's just it's just the what the sort of what the what sort of card you're dealt or whatever card you deal to yourself or whatever, you know, um, it's just sort of the way that it is. And uh, the only other, the only time I would say that I was able to slightly break uh, break out of the way that I do it and, and kind of try to write for the situation is when I went to Nashville. I think knowing that I was playing with like older Nashville guys, like I didn't, I wasn't going to show up with some like punk tune, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that that just, knowing where I was going kind of um, pushed me in a certain direction, but um, it's, yeah, it's, I don't really, it's all, it's all music, it's all notes, you know, and I think Eric knows what I'm saying. But I, but I would also say, and I could be wrong about this, uh, at least in terms of, uh, as, as I understood the, the Gollum project, I mean, that was a sort of a goal-oriented project, wasn't it, in terms of, yeah. you know, you said, okay, here's this this film, and there was a big white canvas, and you started writing songs for that. That's true, yeah. yeah it, that's you know, true, yeah. It was very specific uh, carrot or very specific uh, catalyst or whatever. It was like, yeah, the movie that we had to do a... We had to do a score a soundtrack for it. You know, we had to we had to fill up all of the silent movie with things that weren't silent. Um, now one of the, the tracks on the record that really stood out to me is just an incredible song is Cinema Star. I, I think it's a really nice way to close off the record. And it's also, I think, a nice combination of sort of uh, the pieces of the record all coming together in a new way at the end. You know, there, there's there's still the presence of the strings and of the rock band stuff. It really, really just kind of comes together quickly there. Um, my question about that song is, was there any goal, uh, Eric, to, to change up the tone a little bit? Because that whole sort of end section of the song sounds very much like, like a postscript. So when you heard that song originally, was that postscript a part of it, or was that just a, a matter of, of studio um, you know, workings coming to that conclusion? To be honest, to me, it was just uh, it, it. It kind of came across as uh, to me, it was a practical matter. It was just you know the song was kind of happening as uh, with without that, and I liked it, but uh, I kind of started to see it as a closing track because I really liked the uh, you know the outro. Uh, especially the uh, the lead guitar by our old friend Dave Phillips, mm -hmm. but it uh, it somehow didn't quite the way it was as it you know came out of the uh, you know original session. It it just to me if it was going to be the, some kind of a a final statement, it just needed a little more. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of. You know, was kind of sitting there with our uh, trusty engineer that can do anything, and we just 
started to, you know, I just started to play and uh, we started to kind of uh, manipulate the Play-Doh a little bit. And uh, it just, it just kind of happened. And, uh, you know, you're always a little bit like, hmm, is, you know, in my head it was appropriate, but when I heard it, I was, I hoped it still was, but I decided to, you know, stand with it until somebody stopped me. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever did. <laughs> uh, Charles, what, what's a song that particularly stands out to you from the record? Well, the one we're talking about stands out, you know, and that it was uh, it was a song, but then I had some gigs to do, and I had to go to Ireland, and so I kind of left Eric to his own devices, and um, so he just as he just described, he just did it and hoped it was the right move. So for me, hearing that whole outro and everything was all a big surprise. And, um, you know, I probably heard it on my laptop in the hotel room somewhere, you know what I mean? But um, um, so uh, I guess that one and the other big standout, I think, is probably, you know, probably this, this Rabbits track because it was not talked about as being part of the record until sort of later in the game. And. So when it was suddenly part of the record and then sonically it sounded so fabulous that um, it was kind of a, a surprise, you know, and um, and it kind of opened up the possibility, the, the the rabbit song, for another mellow track in Oh My Tidy Some, which the the chords and the, the, the backing track was from the same session back at, at Brooklyn at Studio G. And... Um, but I don't even think we would have explored that had we not brought rabbits out of the hat, you know. So um, it's just one of those. That's one of those fun things. That that's one of the fun things. I'm sure. I'm sure Eric will agree. That's fun things about uh, making records is that there's all kinds of happy accidents and surprises, and you know, things that you don't really know how it's going to work out. It's just sort of what happens is you're kind of bouncing around ideas uh, in a room all day with a couple of people, you know. Well, there you have it, folks. Black Francis, Eric Drew Feldman, thank you gentlemen for sitting down and talking with me. I really appreciate it. I know I speak for Dean when I say you guys are welcome absolutely anytime you want to come back to the podcast. So we thought we'd end this show by playing some of the tracks we just talked about, uh, mainly Cinema Star, which is going to be the final track of our podcast. But before that, we're going to play the two instances that Black Francis talked about altering up his songwriting a little bit. We're going to play a track from one of the Nashville records, and we're going to play a track from The Gollum. We're going to play Honeycomb, the title track of the first Nashville record, released back in 2005. And then we're going to hear Astaroth from The Gollum, one of uh, the tracks that I had not heard before getting my box set, and I love it. I love the animalistic shrieks at the end. It was very, uh, very, very cool. And finally, we're going to hear Cinema Star. And all I can say about that song is, wow. It is unbelievable. One of my favorite Black Francis, Frank Black songs in a long time. So thanks for joining me. I miss Dean. I'm sure you did too because you had to deal with me the entire time. But we will see you guys in a month. April 1st, we have a special podcast planned. And every month, they're out. So for Dean, for Black Francis, and for Eric Drew Feldman, so long. Here they are, Honeycomb Astaroth and Cinema Star. Bye-bye.
churchyard is where I faded. She watched me while I fell unaided. And in my time, when God's army came and got me, I could not find my honeycomb. I could not find my honeycomb. I could not find my honeycomb. Cherry brown. Olive creams are rising westward, and in that town, as I walk, is a deserter. I could not find my honeycomb. I could not find my honeycomb. I could not find my
Sugar water and headed out. 